opinionated analysis of every KISS release. I am your host, Ryo V, and I thank you for taking the time to join me today for episode 15, KISS Meets the Phantom of the Park. Before we get into the album analysis, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you haven't already done so, please leave a review on iTunes. Positive reviews and subscriptions help other KISS fans to find this podcast. If you have any comments, you want to provide any feedback, you can reach me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. That's psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at RyoV on Twitter. That's at R-Y-O-V-I-E on Twitter. And today's communication comes from the online news that Gene Simmons is taking Ace Freely out on tour with him in Australia. Now this was definitely interesting and exciting news. Uh, A double bill featuring Ace and Gene, only available in the land down under. Hopefully things will work out well and they'll think about bringing this tour to the States. Um, But I'm sure uh, the encore obviously will consist of the two KISS legends taking the stage together. At least I, I would hope that it would. If I was attending this concert, that's would be my expectations. And uh, yeah, I know what they say about expectations, but that would be my expectation that you get to the end of the show, Gene finishes, you know, his set, and then for the encore, uh, or maybe a second encore, yeah, haha, like KISS members do second encores. Uh, Gene and Ace would come out, take the stage together, and play some of the classics, maybe Cold Gin and Deuce and things like that. So um, that would be absolutely amazing and of course this news got me thinking once again and we've talked about this on previous episodes but this got me thinking once again that we may not be that far off from my fantasy scenario where all of the living kiss members are on stage together uh, for a concert or concerts similar to the unplugged experience from 1996 where you had you had six members of the band on stage at one time you had the four classics and then Bruce and Eric who were in the band at the time so you know could this be with this whole Gene Simmons vault tour and what he's been doing taking Vinnie Vincent out with him um, I believe Bruce Kulick has been out with him Ace has been out with him I know Peter made a guest appearance you know with with Gene doing all this and with Paul having worked with Ace recently for uh, Ace's um, covers album Origins Volume 1 you know it's not it's not impossible anymore to think that this this could be a reality. We could see members of KISS all together on stage at the same time. And I mean, think about it. You have Vinny, you have Bruce, you have um, Eric on drums, you could have Peter there, uh, you know, Gene and Paul, um, Tommy Thayer. 
So all the living KISS members on stage at one time for, for an ultimate jam. And I mean, that, that's what should have happened at the at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, I'm not saying every member of KISS should have got inducted into the Hall of Fame, but every member of KISS should have came up and played on the stage. And, you know, they didn't even perform for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's just so much infighting with, with past members and current members. And it, it was just, unfortunately, it was a mess. But this is a way to make up for that mess, you know. And with Gene and Ace touring together, it, we'll see how it goes. If it goes well, and they do well, I don't see why they wouldn't bring it to the States. And then, you know, maybe for one concert or, or two concerts, maybe Paul comes out as a special guest, or maybe Peter comes out as a special guest, or maybe they both do, you know, with, with no makeup on. That would be, to me, that would be awesome. But ultimately, I'd like to see all the band members together on stage, you know, one last time while they're still alive. Look, they're not getting any younger. Um, you know, so I would like to see this happen while they still can. Um, you know, each member's creeping up on 70 now of the original members, so time is definitely not on their side, but um, but that's the latest news out of the KISS camp. That's what I saw recently on uh, on Twitter and, and online, so I, th- I thought that would be interesting to bring up um, in today's communication. So, uh, if the, is that something you're looking forward to? You know, if that was in the States, would you go? Um, you know, let's say it cost you, I don't know, $125 to, to see the show. Would you pay that to see Gene and Ace? Would you want to see that? Would you want to see all members on stage together um, for one, you know, one time or for a series of shows similar to how they did, like, the acoustic convention. You know, let me know your thoughts. Uh, hit me up at Twitter or uh, drop me an email, psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. Would, uh, would love to get everybody else's take on that and see uh, how interested people are to see some type of event like that happening. Alright, so let's get into um, the album analysis, but technically, this is not an album analysis for uh, for today's episode. This is actually a movie analysis, review slash analysis, because this is Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, also known as Kiss and Attack of the Phantoms, and we'll get into all of that. Um, but this was the made-for-TV movie that KISS released on October 28, 1978 for NBC. That's when it debuted on NBC. Um, And the home video was released in 1988 on Good Times Home Video. That's VHS. The DVD version wouldn't be available until Kissology 2 came out. And that was the Attack of the Phantoms version. And again, we'll get into that a little bit more, um, a little bit later we'll get into that more, I should say. So the cast for Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, Ace Freely played the Space Ace, Gene Simmons played the Demon, Paul Stanley played the Star Child, Peter Chris played the Catman, Anthony Zerba played Abner Devereaux. What, just what a deliciously evil name, Abner Devereaux. <laughs> Carmen... Cardi played Calvin Richards, and Deborah Ryan played Melissa, no last name given. The executive producer for this was Joseph Barbera, and yes, that's of Hanna-Barbera Productions, and the director was Gordon Hessler. For the cover review, um, I have the VHS version, 
I have the DVD as well, but I have the VHS version. Actually, I have two copies. <laughs> I bought two copies in case one broke. Don't ask me why. I don't watch this movie that often. I don't think it's particularly that good. But um, for my cover review, I like to, you know, review all the album covers. So I figured for for the movies and the VHSs, we'll do the same thing. So uh, this was the VHS cover that came out on Good Times Video. So this is the cover. Uh, analysis that I'm doing. So I, f- I find it odd, yet fitting, that the VHS cover uh, to this release is it's really about as horrendous as the movie itself. First of all, there's only two members of KISS on the cover. Why are there only two members? Shouldn't all four members be on the cover? And, and since the VHS version was released in 1988, if there are only going to be two members, shouldn't the two members be Gene and Paul? They were still in the band, and they were in the movie. But instead, we get Gene and Peter. That just made no sense to me. And then there's the large image of the evil scientist, Abner Devereaux, on the bottom of the cover. Um, And it depicts him sitting behind his computers, which that image takes up half of the cover. Now, I get it. You want to show who the villain is, but I don't think he should get more cover space than the band members. And I also don't think that two of the band members uh, shouldn't be on the cover. The graphics in the wording, those are pretty lame, too. I understand you need the KISS logo to be there, but why is the Phantom in some weird font, and why is it pink? Uh, It doesn't really add anything, and it it certainly isn't menacing. I mean, I'm no graphics artist, but I know that the font definitely should have been handled differently. Um, Also, I think that all four members should be above the image of Abner Devereaux. Uh, There's an easy way to add a different image that would have put all four members of the band right above Abner Devereaux. Um, They're the stars of this awful movie, for crying out loud, so why wouldn't you have all four on the cover? And don't even get me started on the stupid baseball jersey vest that Peter's wearing on the cover with the number three on the upper left breast. I mean, that's dumb. I don't think he ever wore anything like that in concert. I know the number three was on the back of sometimes he would wear a vest, but I don't ever recall him wearing a a baseball jersey vest. Now, I could be wrong. Call me out if I am, please. By all means, you know, I welcome that here, Um, but I do not ever remember Peter Chris wearing a pinstripe baseball jersey vest and he definitely didn't wear it in the movie so why in the world is that on the cover all right so let's get to the plot summary it's 1978 and magic mountain is an amusement park in california and it's in need of some money to keep their operations going and to keep the park open calvin richards comes up with the brilliant idea of hiring kiss to play three concerts at his park, which is co-owned by Abner Devereaux. So um, that way the park can make some money and uh, hopefully get out of debt because, you know, bringing Kiss to the park would just earn them a windfall. That would make them a ton of money. Obviously, I guess Kiss was doing this for free, and, um, you know, they're giving all the money to Magic Mountain. Yeah, I can see Gene doing that. Uh, Kiss is the biggest band in the world, and, you know, if they perform at Magic Mountain, it's going to help the bottom line immensely. Now, Abner's against having the band perform there. Um, He's insisting that he needs money for his animatronic experience, excuse me, experiments, and that money should not be going to pay a rock and roll band. So I guess they are paying the band, but making an influx of money 
other ways, you know, part of the ticket sales, uh, concessions, selling, whatever. Um, thus, that's the conflict. Um, so to do a little bit better justice, I went to Wikipedia um, and grabbed the plot description from there. So I'll read you the plot description as it appears on Wikipedia. It gives just a little more detail than, than I was able to plot out there. So, from Wikipedia. At Six Flags Magic Mountain, Abner Devereaux, the park's engineer and creator of a series of animatronic attractions, is not pleased that his works are being overshadowed by an upcoming concert by Kiss. Calvin Richards, the park's owner, explains that the concert will generate much-needed revenue to make up for the quality control problems that have plagued Devereaux's creations. Melissa, a park guest, becomes concerned when her boyfriend Sam Farrell, a park employee, has gone missing. Meanwhile, three punks sabotage one of the rides, and Devereaux is blamed for the incident. Melissa goes to Devereaux's laboratory, which was the last place Sam was seen. Devereaux dismisses her after explaining that he has not seen, seen Sam, but after she leaves the lab, he reveals that Sam has been placed under mind control through the use of an electronic device on his neck. The three punks enter the Chamber of Thrills, where they fall into traps set by Devereaux. Richard, Richards fires Devereaux for his erratic behavior and disregard for the guest's safety. Because of this, Devereaux swears revenge upon Richards, the park, and Kiss, all of who he blames for his misfortune. Shortly after Kiss's first concert at the park, Devereaux attempts to discredit them by unleashing a robotic copy of Gene Simmons to wreak havoc on the park and the security guards. The band is questioned the next day, but no action is taken. Melissa seeks help from the band to find Sam, unaware that the security pass she received from Devereaux is a tracking device. Devereaux has Sam break into the band's lair and steal their talismans, but the plan is foiled due to the force field on the talisman's case. Kiss sneak into the park to confront Devereaux, but they lose their powers and are imprisoned after Sam manages to steal the talismans and Devereaux neutralizes them with a ray gun. Devereaux sends his robotic Kiss copies to ruin their concert and incite a riot, but the real Kiss manage to regain their powers and escape to defeat the imposters and save the concert. After the show, Kiss and Melissa and Richards confront Devereaux, but discover that he has frozen in a catatonic state. Paul Stanley removes the mind control device from Sam, returning him back to normal. Richard laments Devereaux's demise by saying... He created Kiss to destroy Kiss, and he lost. Now look, if that recap doesn't make you want to see this movie, you're normal. <laughs> it just it just reading it sounds super cheesy, but it it was a made for TV movie in 1978. Um, and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut right to the chase. It, it's a terrible movie. It's it's just terrible. Yet. It does have redeeming B-movie qualities, like all B-movies do. And, and that's, that's what this is. This is a B-movie. There's, there's so much wrong with this movie that it's hard to call out what's right about it. Now, I'm sure when it came out, the effects were cool, and the made-for-TV movie was probably a success for NBC. But it did tarnish the band's reputation somewhat. And this is a classic case of the band biting off more than they could chew. They weren't actors. They didn't really have any act 
acting ability, and that's evident throughout this film. And as we've talked about on previous episodes, Kiss was in their downward spiral anyway. You know, this is one of the last things they did together with all four original members of the band um, before everything fell apart and then, you know, the reunion tour. Um, so this was, this was a tough time for Kiss, and this movie, it didn't help them. The opening of the film is it's decent enough, although it is very dated. I'm not sure anything that could be done about that. It was 1978. The teens dressed like it was 1978. I, I can't really say too many negative things about that because I'm sure in 40 years, movies made today, they're going to look very dated too. So I get that. And I did like the rock and roll all night intro with Kiss playing to the opening credits. Uh, I like the opening shot of the roller coaster ride that sets up the film. It immediately establishes that, you know, this is a theme park where kids go to have fun. Um, kind of reminded me of my teenage years when my friends and I would go to Great Adventure, Six Flags for those of you outside the Jersey area. And we'd spend the whole day riding roller coasters, eating fried foods. Um, you know, we'd go there two, three times every summer, and it was always, always a blast. After the roller coaster rides over, there's an establishing shot of Kiss, of a Kiss statue, and an announcer calling out, Come see the Kiss concert, Kiss in concert tonight. So we immediately know we're at a theme park and that Kiss is going to be performing a concert. So, so far, so good. At this point, I was thinking, you know, maybe I just had a negative memory of this movie and maybe it was better than I recalled because, you know, up until now, I probably haven't watched this movie in 10 years. So, maybe even a little longer, you know. Maybe, like, sometime in the mid-90s I might have watched it. So, um, alright, maybe I haven't seen this movie in 20 years. Um, so, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this could be a little bit better than I remember. Uh, and that's going to be the last time that I would have that thought. Uh, since there's more lows than highs throughout the entire course of this flick, let, let me cover the highs first. Because the lows, lows are going to eat up most of our time. And the highs are pretty simple. The music. I loved hearing Kiss songs in the background. I loved the concert shots. I loved the band performing live for the amusement park audiences. Um, the live concert shots, they were fun to watch, and they really did capture what it would be like to be at a Kiss show in 1978. You know, So from a promotional standpoint, this film definitely served its purpose. You know, it showed people who had never seen Kiss in concert what a Kiss in concert experience would be like. So I would call that a win from from a promo standpoint. Now I'm sure that there were several people who went to see Kiss in concert after watching this movie so again that that's a win. And as atrocious as it is, if people went to a Kiss concert because they saw this film then, then that can't be considered anything but a win. Now, fun fact here, tickets to the concert that was filmed for this movie were given away to 8,000 fans through a local radio station promotion, and KISS did perform a full concert for the fans, and that entire performance was recorded. So, here's a side note. Why on earth has KISS not released this concert footage? I mean, this could be an awesome Blu-ray release. The movie on disc one, the entire concert on disc two. You could even have both versions of the movie. You could have the American release, which was Kiss uh, Meets the Phantom of the Park. You could have the European release, which was Kiss and Attack of the Phantoms. And then you could have the concert as well. I mean, that would just be fabulous. 
And even though I own the movie on VHS and I own it on Kissology too, I would buy the Blu-ray just for the concert. And you know that's right up Gene Simmons' alley. I get people to spend money on something they've already they already own in some version. So I don't understand why this has not been released um, on DVD at least, but you know on Blu-ray with uh, the movie and the concert, the full concert that was recorded. I just I think that would be fabulous. And maybe maybe even you do a behind-the-scenes documentary. I mean that. You got my money, 35 bucks, slap it down, give me the Blu-ray, I want the documentary, I want the movies, I want the concert. Um, Alright, so continuing with the highs, the, the acoustic version of Beth that's featured in the middle of the movie, that was pretty damn good too. Um, it was the first time that fans got to hear this song played acoustically, and it was well done. You know, and although Gene and Ace don't really have a role during the acoustic recording, since Peter's doing the singing and Paul is playing the acoustic guitar, they just they just kind of sit there and bob their heads along with the music. But it's still it was still pretty awesome to hear Beth performed acoustically. Now, that's about all the positive things that I have to say about this movie. Uh, Anthony Zerber's acting it was decent. He played a pretty good evil scientist, so I guess that's a positive, too. Um, fun fact, his other notable roles were in The Omega Man and Licensed to Kill, and he also appeared in the movie American Hustle. So now, on to the negative. Look, you might want to hit pause and get a drink because uh, this could definitely take a while. As I'm sure I've mentioned before, I, I try not to be a basher. I want to collect positive experiences from all the KISS releases, but this movie makes it very, very hard to do. So look, we're going to start with the acting. And, and really, I'm just focusing on the acting of KISS. Uh, the other actors, they were okay, I suppose. Like, no one's going to win any Academy Awards for this movie. The non-Kiss actors, they did all right. They weren't horrendous. They didn't really take away from the film. Kiss's acting, however, that was just awful. Look, Gene is reduced to a demon that just barks and growls most of the time. And when he does speak, there's some weird voice effect... That's I guess it's supposed to give his voice a demon-like sound, but it just sounds garbled and stupid. That's not really Gene's fault, and perhaps this criticism should really come in the next part I cover, which is effects. But that being said, Gene's acting is awful. He struggles with his line. He, he, he lines. He looks uncomfortable in front of the camera. He really just comes off like a fool. Ace is no better. He just barks with his ack. Hey, Kelly! those lines are just embarrassing. Like, I know he's supposed to come off as the space ace, meaning he's spaced out, but he just came off looking like a buffoon. And the lines he does have, they're, they're terrible. They're poorly written. They're poorly delivered. It sounds almost as if he was reading his lines from a cue card that he didn't have memorized them. It didn't have them memorized at all, which actually would not surprise me. Peter and Paul, no better. All four of the band members appeared to struggle with their lines and the delivery of said lines. And there's been a lot written about how the production on this movie was poor. So again, maybe this isn't entirely Kiss's fault. They have stated that the lines would be called out, the band members would say them, and if they got them right, that was considered a take. So this can't you can't totally blame the band here. Um, but 
Because this, that's no way to film a movie, first of all. But, you know, limited budget. I don't know what their time constraints were, you know, so the producers were just happy if you got the take, move on. Um, you know, and as I stated earlier, look, Kiss did bite off more than they could chew with their desire to act in this movie. Uh, you know, what it comes down to is Kiss, they couldn't act. They weren't meant to be actors. They were meant to be entertainers. They were meant to be stage performers. But, you know, in 1978, they were on top of the world, and they really thought they could do anything. And I think they got a crash course in how acting really is, and it, it didn't suit them well. They were much better served doing a movie that was similar to Detroit Rock City, which would come out 20 years later. Um where they were still the stars, but the focus on the band was on their performance and not on them being these mystical characters that could save the amusement park from an evil scientist. And we will cover Detroit Rock City when we get to that part in the band's history, and the review is going to be much, much more positive. I think Detroit Rock City is a a fabulous movie. Not even a fabulous Kiss movie. I think it's a fabulous movie. And you're going to see complete contrasts from... This made-for-TV garbage to that movie, um, you know, to obviously they had the benefit of time being 20 years more mature and wiser, uh, bigger budget. I get all that, but the approach was smarter. Kiss is still in the movie, but they're just featured in the concert, and the movie is about Kiss and about these guys trying to get to see Kiss. And you could have done something similar with Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park and just have Kiss as a central part of the concert, um, you know, towards the end of the movie. But that's not the way this went. I didn't write it. Um, nobody asked my opinion on how to write it. And at the time, I was four years old, so five years old when it came out. So that's, I understand why nobody wanted my opinion. All right, let's turn to the effects. And I get that this was 1978. Special effects were still being honed, and they're nowhere near as good as they are today. But, look, the effects in this movie are still terrible, even by 1978 standards. And I'll, I'll give you a comparison. I just watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the Donald Sutherland uh, film from the same year, 1978. And the effects in that movie were pretty damn good. They held up 40 years later. The effects in this movie... Not so much. Um, they certainly weren't as good as Star Wars or Close Encounters or the aforementioned Invasion of Body Snatchers. Laser beams and fire breathing look so fake, it's just comical. And again, I understand effects weren't what they are today, but they certainly they could have done better than this, no? Or find a way to do this without the special effects. If it's taking away from the movie, which in my opinion these effects do, then you have to find a better workaround. The effects they were just awful. And sometimes I wasn't even sure what the effects were supposed to do. Um, a good example is when Paul freezes everybody to single out Melissa, there's a star wipe effect around her. So was, was that meant to convey that he could read her mind and ascertain whether she was telling the truth? Or was that effect meant to freeze everybody so he could talk to her one-on-one -on -one without anyone else hearing the conversation. And, and don't even get me started on the terrible laser beams that Paul walks down in the intro to the film. Or Kiss riding in the amusement park rides during the intro. These are just, they're so horrendous. Again, I know it was 1978, but I think better effects could have been done. Um, they're probably just wasn't enough money in the budget. 
Alright, analyzing the plot and the story. <coughs> Excuse me. This this really hurts the movie. The plot's cheesy. It's a played out 1950s comic book science fiction where an evil scientist wants to destroy Kiss because they're performing at his park. Wouldn't it be better to destroy your business partner that brought the band there in the first place? The rationale that Abner uses to blame Kiss, it's as ridiculous as it is non-existent. You know, the fact that the band is playing a concert at your amusement park is no reason to want to destroy the band, or the park for that matter. It's paper-thin plot with way too many holes to mention. Um, And what about the case of Kiss having powers they gained from their talisman? And then they just leave them unprotected while they're on stage. And they tell a total stranger about them. Uh, unlikely, it's all so, it's all too unbelievable to be taken seriously. Not that this movie should be taken seriously anyway, but it's still, it's quite a stretch. And the whole motivation for the band to help Melissa find her fiancé, that's garbage too. They didn't really seem like they wanted to help, and they don't even really take any action until Abner captures them. It's just, it's all a convoluted mess. Uh, then there's the scene with Kiss by the pool the morning after fake Jean goes on a destructive rampage through the park. Why is Kiss sitting by the pool in monk robes? Is it their meditation time? Is this how they relax? And why are they all on lifeguard chairs in front of an empty pool? The whole scene was horrendous, and it was obvious that the writers needed to force a way for the band members to be together where security could approach them and ask them questions. Uh, Another issue is that the band that night playing Beth acoustically, weren't they supposed to be performing a concert? Is that how the band warms up before a show? Did this happen after the concert and that's how they chill out? And how can a woman just walk around a restricted area of the park and find Kiss? The movie, it just doesn't do a good job of explaining all of this. Mostly due to lazy writing and again i think they needed to create situations that put the band together so they figured oh yeah let's have them sit by the pool again at night and they'll perform an acoustic version of bath because i'm sure that's what the band did before and after every kiss concert in 1978 and then there's the white beasties now look i'm not exactly sure what these monsters were supposed to be they're to me they were like a mix between the abominable snowman and werewolves Whatever they were supposed to be, they're kind of stupid and cheesy. And look, maybe in 1978 this was a cool effect, and they may have even been perceived as scary, but I thought they were just a joke. Again, I understand technology wasn't as grand back then, but still, something better could have been done. And of course, Kiss discovers that the Beasties are only robots, so that's when they realize they can unleash their full powers and start knocking the Beastie heads off like they're made out of paper mache. Uh, worst part of it is when Kiss Fake Kiss comes out on stage and plays Rip and Destroy, which is, it's hotter than hell, but with better lyrics. And yes, by now, you all know how I feel about hotter than hell. The lyrics to Rip and Destroy, they're better. Point is, how in the world can a band incite a riot by singing the same chorus over and over and over again. And the crowd actually boos the band, which they should. So if the plot, to disc- if this was a ploy to discredit the band, 
then that would be all right. But that's not what this was. Abner's intention was to have the fans start destroying the park so then he could turn around and blame it on Kiss. They started the riot by singing their stupid song over and over and over again. That's just terrible. It never happens. And then when it seems like the fans are actually going to get mad and start destroying things, they don't. The whole This whole part of the movie confuses the hell out of me. Honestly, though, by that time, I was so bored. I just wanted this damn movie to end. So I wasn't paying that close attention, but close enough to go, what, what is going on here? But then again, like I said, I'm just saying, when is this movie going to end? Is Are we almost done with this nonsense? And of course, you know, the movie wraps up, Kiss saves the day, Abner's been defeated, and he's ultimately dead or paralyzed. I Honestly, I was never quite sure which. Um, and then the band's playing their concert as expected, with fans going nuts for the real Kiss. Uh, a cheesy, expected Hollywood ending. Um, I guess that's okay. I didn't mind the Hollywood ending as much as I minded everything else, but what I really did mind was the fact that, okay, the fans sat there and watched this fake Kiss band, watched Kiss fight fake Kiss, and then Kiss comes out and, and plays a concert, and then before the concert's over, they're looking at Devereaux, who's paralyzed, and then they're back in concert. It just... It, <laughs> the sequencing was just terrible. Look, ultimately, honestly, I think... It would be really cool if this movie got a remake. I know. I know. A real Hollywood budget remake with real actors, not Kiss, playing the part of the band members. Now, I know there's no need for this. I'm sure there's no demand for this. But... I honestly, I think it would scrub away the awful taste of this movie um, if a masterful remake were done. Look, on the list of Kiss priorities and things I'd like to see, this one, it, it is pretty low. But I still think it would be pretty cool if this got a, re a reboot, you know. But uh, overall, look, this movie is garbage. And I really, I don't think I'll be watching it again for another 20 years, maybe longer. And, uh, you know, that would have to be on a very rainy day when I'm really bored and I'm ready to take a nap. So, yeah, Kiss meets the Family Park. Not so good. Now, um, Kiss meets the Phantom Park is, like I said, is the VHS copy I have. Kiss and Attack of the Phantoms is the DVD copy that's on Kissology 2. Uh, so you may be wondering what's the difference. So the main difference, there's no, there's no additional scenes in the DVD version, you know, it's it's not like um, things happen that weren't on the made-for-TV movie. But what the what the difference is 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 in the background music. So in in Attack of the Phantoms, there's a lot more Kiss music being played in the background, um, especially during some of the fight scenes. You know, Kiss is is Kiss's music is being played more in the background. Um, I think when Gene's rampaging through the park and stomping on things, some of his solo songs are being played. That's all in the the Kiss in Attack of the Phantoms release. In Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, none of those songs are played, which I thought was really weird. You know, why would they take them out? Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know for sure. Um, 
it just it, it came across as very odd to me as why it wouldn't be included in the TV movie version, but it was included in the European release. So just really strange, but kind of fitting for the whole purpose of this movie, you know. And and the big, um, the big fight scene, the big uh, climax—that's the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, with Kiss coming on stage to save the day, fighting their doppelgangers, uh, and the massive Kiss versus Kiss on stage fight. Um, you know, which was meant to be the real wow factor of the movie. Look, Kiss is fighting Kiss. Uh, it's just—it's—it's it's another terrible, awful point in the movie. And again, in the European release, there's there's a bunch of music in the background that. I don't remember being in the VHS release. I think the VHS release had just had some cheesy, like electronic music, whereas in the in the European release there was actual Kiss music. So those were the main differences between the two. I'm gonna be honest. I didn't watch them back to back. I did not. After I finished the VHS version, I my original intention was to go watch the Kissology 2 version so I could do a more detailed compare and contrast. But I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to sit through that movie again, even on fast forward. So, look, I'm sorry. You know, it's um, again. I try not to say too many negative things. I, I try to be more positive, I should say, but I also try to be honest. And honestly, this movie is horrendous. And I, I, like I said, I own two versions. Um, you know, and that's that's me. Um, I wanted to have a, a second copy in case one broke because it is something in the Kiss collection that you know I want to have. I want to have everything the band released. But as far as how often I'm going to watch this. Not very. So, look, thanks thanks for listening. Um, I appreciate you sitting through me with uh, this episode. If you got a comment to share, you can email me at uh, psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. Please be sure to go to iTunes and leave a review. Every review helps. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, you can also check out my written works at rockandrollguru.blogspot.com. That's rockandrollguru.blogspot.com. R-O-C-K-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-G-U-R-U.blogspot.com. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ryov at R-Y-O-V-I-E. Always looking to get my follower count up. Um, I love, love me some Twitter. Uh, so... Be sure to tune in next time where I will cover Dynasty. So that's coming up next uh, on the next episode of the Psycho Circus podcast. I will be covering Kiss's um, album Dynasty. So until then, the carnival has just begun.
Incite a riot, destroy the park. Blame it on us. Right. We've got to get out of here. Leave it to me, Star Child. I'll bend these beams with my mind. Not yours. Ours. 